How are you guys doing? Good, good to see you. Thanks for being at church this weekend. Um, I'm Daryl Holden, if we haven't met yet. I'm really glad that we're together. Um, thanks for coming. So back in 1994, Marie and I were living in Edmond, Oklahoma, and um, the University of Oklahoma men's baseball team went on this crazy run through the College World Series. They won the whole thing. So I'm not a baseball guy, so I don't really pay attention that much, but because we were in Oklahoma and it's the University of Oklahoma's team, like the news was everywhere and we couldn't miss it. And they had this slogan as a team, 25 guys pulling on the same rope. So I'm not a baseball guy. Again, I'm hearing that slogan for the first few times and I'm like, what, baseball's played with nine guys, not 25, and they don't use ropes. And so processing through that a little bit, and of course, you know, connecting the dots in a minute or two, they weren't talking about like the way they play the game, they were actually talking about team unity and, and holding out that value of team unity as, as the way they were making their run. And at the end of the championship game, after, like, after they'd won, after the big dog pile at the pitcher's mound and all that fun stuff, um, an interviewer was on the field and asked one of the players about the slogan, 25 guys pulling on the same rope. This guy named Chip Glass was the one who was interviewed, and Chip says this, he says, we didn't have any superstars on this team. This was a team in the truest sense of the word. We all pulled together and did what it took to win. So I don't know if this guy Chip Glass knew it when he said it, but what he said is echoing something that the Bible holds out for groups of people who want to accomplish anything significant. That gotta be pulling together so that we accomplish what we've set out for. And so the Bible holds out for a group of people who wanna accomplish anything significant, and it exponentially raises the value of being together and being unified for the church. If the church wants to accomplish anything significant, anything of eternal value, we have to be a group of people who pull together and head in the same direction. And that's what I want us to talk about together today. And we're in this series called Remember, and this series is some things that maybe if you've been around church for a while, this is stuff to remind you, and if you're kinda new or newer to these kinds of things, maybe some of these things are, you're hearing them for the first time, this is, this is stuff that's of first importance. And so this series is about things that are first importance that we need to remember, and so today we're gonna talk about how important it is for us to be, to pursue unity um, as a church. So the way I wanna approach this is I wanna start by just like why we raise the value of unity, why it's an important thing for churches, why we'd say it's exponentially important for us. And then I wanna give you a definition and kind of a description from the Bible about what unity is, and then talk with you about some practical things for, for people who are maybe starting to feel adrift apart. And so that not just the church, but like in your, in your marriage, in your family, in a friendship, at a workplace, like the practical side of this thing, it, like it's really practical, so it'll work for us. So, Let's jump into our time together. So why, do, why is this so important? Why is, why is unity making it into a series of first things? Why are we gonna spend a whole weekend talking about this? So I wanna jump in to the Gospel of John, chapter 17. John 17 records a prayer Jesus prayed. And it's not just any prayer. Like this, is, this is his prayer right before he goes to the cross. These are, this is last words. This is, this is the last thing Jesus prayed over his followers. And so he starts this prayer praying specifically for the group of people who followed him around for three years. And then, and then he hits this spot in the prayer where he transitions 
and begins to pray for the people who would come after them, for succeeding generations of believers, for you and for me. And so, so these verses that I'm gonna read here in just a second, this is where his prayer transitions into praying for, for you and for me. So the Gospel of John, chapter 17, verses 20 and 21, Jesus says, my prayer's not for them alone. Right, so that first group of followers. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you're in me and I'm in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. So again, this is a prayer that Jesus prays for us, and it's a prayer for unity. It's, it's a prayer for unity that, that we would be one with each other and beyond that, that we would be one with God. So this isn't just like, oh, that they'll all get along. This is, this is a prayer that, that we would be one and that as we are one with each other, we would also be one with God. And, and as I was processing through this prayer, one of the things that really jumped out to me, if you think about this, like of all the things Jesus could have prayed, right? And it's the last prayer. Like he is headed to the cross. Of all the things that Jesus could have prayed before, he's, before he leaves, he chose to pray for unity. And, and so, so what that tells me is that this is, this is not something that you and I just kinda stumble into, right? This is, this is not our natural bent. This is not our natural drift. If this was something that just came easy and came naturally to us, I think Jesus has got some other things that he might need to pray for us about this. But because unity is a challenge, it's a challenge to us as people to be unified with one another and also unified with God because, because unity is a challenge for us. Jesus prays about that and he prays this, this prayer that echoes down through the ages for people like you and me that we would be one with one another and that we would be one with God. And so, so he's, of all the things he could have prayed, he, he chooses this and then, and then we get to the why for the prayer there at the end. May they be one, they'd be in us, they'd be one together and they'd be in us, that last line, so that the world may believe that you, Father, have sent me, Jesus says. Could they be one with one another and with you so that the world will believe that Jesus is the savior that God has sent to rescue us? That's the mission, right? That's the whole reason that Jesus came on a rescue mission. That's the mission that Jesus loves and that Jesus gave his life for and that Jesus gave to us as his followers and that Jesus gave us to. Remember how much Jesus loves this mission. I mean, he loves his church, but he loves his mission. He loves his mission so much that he gave it a church and not some fractured, want it my way, doing my own thing kind of church, but a church of people who are pursuing unity with one another and with God so that the world will be convinced, so that the world could know that Jesus is the savior that God has sent to rescue us from our sins. If this is, this is, an, like this is, this is the mission. Unity is, unity is locked in and tied in with the mission apart from unity. Like we're, we're not unified, we're sunk on this mission. And so, 
So Jesus prays that if we're unified, if, could we be unified so that the world could know? A little later, the Apostle Paul, he's writing to the ancient church at Philippi. And in the ancient church at Philippi, and we know this from this little letter called Philippians, in the ancient church at Philippi, there were two people there who, who couldn't get along, and the conflict that they were experiencing was spilling out into the church, and it was causing issues in the church. And so as you read through this letter to the ancient church at Philippi, like that, theme, that theme surfaces different points. And, and so he, he writes about the importance of unity, and in Philippians chapter one, verse 27, so he's at the front end of the letter still, and he's kind of past the introduction and starting to jump into the heart of things. He tells that little church, he says, whatever happens, because he's talking about himself, and he's in jail, and he doesn't know what's gonna happen to him. And he says, whatever happens to me, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I'll know that you stand firm in the one spirit striving together as one for the faith of the gospel. And so when we're, what we're reading here, when he's talking about unity, he's talking way more than just being on the same page, right? This is, this is way bigger than like, you know, pulling on the same rope. He's, he's talking about being of one spirit, you know, striving together as one for our faith, in the gospel, he's, he's talking about a spiritual connectedness, a spiritual unity. It sounds an awful lot like what Jesus said, that we would be one with each other and one in relationship with our Father and with Jesus. Like this, is, this is big stuff that he prays for here. So I was in Uganda on a mission trip a number of years ago. And one of our American missionaries who lived there full time was talking to a group of Ugandan people and talking about something that was coming up in the trip and, and as he was speaking and kind of giving some idea and direction, he, he finished the little, the little conversation with, are we together on this? And I, I still remember, like, are we together on this? With his, with his fingers, with his hands of how he, are we together on this? And I, like that hand gesture and that little phrase struck me and I have no clue if that is something that comes out of Ugandan language or Ugandan culture, or if it was like the necessity of hand gestures when there's a communication barrier, a language barrier sometime, but I just, are we together on this? Is, is all of who you are and all of who I am, like are we, are we together on this? Are, are we of one spirit? Right? Are we of one spirit? Because, because unity is, is absolutely important for the church. And, and this is the kind of, of unity that people who are believing the gospel are called to pursue. And on top of that, this is the kind of unity that's actually necessary for the good news about Jesus to move forward. You see how this thing starts, the little, the little sentence here starts. Whatever happens, conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, like the good news about Jesus that he is the savior that God has sent to rescue us from our sins, for us to conduct ourselves in a way that is worthy of that means that we are of one spirit. Are, are we together in this? And so, so when we talk about unity, we're talking about something that is of first importance because if, 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 we're, 
If we're not together on this, if we're not together on this, if we're, we are not conducting ourselves in a manner that's worthy of the gospel, if we're not together on this, the world doesn't believe that Jesus is the savior that God has sent to rescue us. Like if we're not together on this, there's so much at stake here in this. And so what we say about this, like for a church, for a church, unity is mission critical. And this is just a summary statement for you. If, you wanna, if you're gonna remember anything I talk about today, this is the sentence to remember. For a church, unity is mission critical. We, we cannot accomplish what Jesus has given to us to accomplish if we're not together in this. So for a church, unity is mission critical. And so, so we raise the value of unity. And that doesn't mean that it is like that we're uniform. Like unity and uniformity are not the same thing. Those are totally different things. Unity is we're together. We're of one spirit. And so for us as a church, unity is mission critical. So we're in this series, as we've been talking through this series, one of the things that we've been raising the value of, one of the things we've been reminding ourselves of is that church, church is not, it's not a building we come to, it's not an event that we attend. Church is a movement that you're part of. It's the movement of Jesus. It's the movement that Jesus started and that movement has a mission. And, and the purpose of the church, like Jesus, the church is a gift to the mission. And, and for us to, to be who Jesus calls us to be and do what Jesus calls us to do, a unity, is, unity is mission critical. So we need, let's hold on to that and know if the world's gonna realize that Jesus is the savior that God sent to rescue us from our sins, it requires a unified church to declare that message. All right, so, so knowing that unity is mission critical, this is the why, here's what. So what is, what's a, what's a definition, what's a description of unity? And so, so our definition, our description of unity is just this little phrase, it's we over me. It's we over me. And that logo that's there on the screen for you, like you have the series t-shirts that we've offered for this series. Um, that's the logo on, on the t-shirt. This is, this, is, this is the most important statement of all the things we're talking about in a church, unity's mission critical, and so it is, it is we over me. And can I just tell you, this challenges everything that is in each one of us. We are, we are people who are naturally wired to look out for ourselves. We are people who are naturally wired to want our own way. We're people who are naturally wired to, to do things the way we want them done. That's human, that's the human condition. And then most of us are from the United States. And if you're from the United States, like we value independence to the extreme. For, for a person who is, who is part of the, the culture of the United States, like for us to think about the good of the group before we think about the good of ourself, that is, that is a foreign concept to us. And so, so for us, as we, as we look at this definition and we think about this concept of being you know, together in this and it requires this mindset of we over me, there's, there's a part of us that, that looks at all that and says, absolutely not. Absolutely not. I don't, I don't want any part of that. Right? I, don't, I, don't want, I want me over we. Because that's, that's the way I'm wired. That feels like that's gonna be the best for me and for mine. 
And, and whatever happens to the we, and that, like, that's just what happens to the we. Can I tell you, if you're, if you're hearing that in these moments, if you're hearing like absolutely not, I'm more concerned about myself than I am the group, that's, that's your old self talking. Like that's, that's, the, that's the part of you that was you before you met Jesus. Jesus has given you a new self, right? He's given you a new heart. And your new heart, when you live from your new heart, this new self of who he is making you to be, you're a new creation. Like what you experience is an understanding of like, oh, we've gotta be together in this. And so it's living from this new heart that people like you and me get to live out this huge value of we over me and, and not listen to the old self that prizes my independence and my way. So I was reading this article a while back. It was actually a promo piece on a, a ride that was being offered to be sold to amusement parks. So this prospective amusement park ride was called Ego Trip. And at the start of this ego trip, you enter the ride and the paparazzi are flashing away and adoring fans are screaming your name. This is, and then you get to go to your own movie premiere and then after you attend your movie premiere, you visit an art museum where you see paintings of yourself by Picasso and Warhol and Van Gogh. These famous painters paint pictures of you and then you attend a political rally where they're encouraging you to run for president and people are shouting and cheering your name and then you get to go to a sporting event where you're celebrated as the star athlete and then the ride ends with a tipper, ticker tape parade in your honor. And then you get to go out to the gift shop and in the gift shop you get to purchase the memorabilia of you on your ego trip. And when the, when the founder of that entertainment company was interviewed about the ride, he said, what's everybody's favorite subject? Themselves. And so this ride is taking that to the nth degree. And I think about that ride and I think, okay, it sounds a little bit over the top, but if you could ride it in secret, it might be all right. <laughs> if you could just do it in secret. So, so there's this part of us that says, yeah, I would rather take the ego trip than live we over me. But that's the old self. So the new self says, okay, there's something to this. There's something to this, but, but if I'm gonna live we over me, does that mean, does that mean I never get my way? Does that mean I'm always coming in second? Does that mean, like, what does that mean? What does that mean for me? And, and because it means it sounds like I'm always laying things down and I'm always turning loose of things and I'm never gonna get my way, that, that sounds, that sounds like a difficult way to live. So can I, can I show you a different perspective on that? It's from Psalm 133, and this is really from heaven's perspective of, of people who are together in this. Psalm 133 is just this, it's this psalm, it's this prayer, it's this celebration about, about God's people living together. In Psalm 30, 133, verses one through three, how good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. It's like precious oil poured on the head. It's running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down on the collar of his robe. It's as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion, for there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. And so this, this perspective of heaven 
on God's people living together, like the first, the first words there in that little prayer, in that celebration, it's good and it's pleasant. It's good and it's pleasant for people like you and me when we start hearing about we over me and I'm not gonna get my way and I'm gonna have to lay down. It sounds hard, but, but the truth is it's actually good and pleasant and those are, those are things that we wanna experience, not just in our church, we wanna experience those things in our families, we wanna experience them in our friendship, we wanna experience them in our workplaces, our neighborhoods, like good and pleasant. These are, these are beautiful concepts. And then, and then the psalmist goes on to use some very picturesque language. It's like precious oil that's poured down on Aaron's head and runs down on his beard, so that's a reference back to the ancient nation of Israel. Aaron was their first high priest, and the anointing oil was poured on him and it ran down and it sounds kind of gross to you. I don't want a vial of, a big vial of oil run down on my face, but for him and for them, an amazing moment of, of God's presence. The oil symbolizes the Holy Spirit of God and that anointing is him being set aside and commissioned for, for his service, for ministry, it was God showing up and saying yes, and you're gonna be effective in this because I'm in it for you and I'm in it with you. And, and there's for a church, there's this special anointing. When God's people are together in this there's, this, there's this heavenly anointing because we've been given this mission to accomplish. And, and since we have a mission to accomplish, we can't accomplish the mission on our own, but when we dwell together in unity, there is this special anointing that comes from God that makes, it, makes us effective in the mission that he's giving to us. And then it says that it's like this dew that comes from Mount Hermon and it moves down and falls on Mount Zion. So Mount Hermon is this mountain that's kind of up in the north and the elevation's higher and it's cooler up there in Mount Zion, it's a little farther in the south and it's hot and it can be dry. And in, in the heat and the dryness of summer, people, God's people dwelling together in unity is like, we would say it's like a, it's like cloud cover and a cool breeze on a really hot day. It's just, it's just, it's good and it's pleasant when God's people dwell together in unity. And, and what that takes from people like you and me is the mindset of we over me. So if we jump back to the Apostle Paul writing that letter to that ancient church where he says, hey, Y'all get along, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. And he writes this little, he writes this little um, section in Philippians chapter two, verses three and four. He says, he says to us, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, rather in humility, value others above yourself, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the other. This is, this is we over me, right? This is we over me, not looking for my own interest, but to the interest of the other person. This is we over me. And, and a little later in that same chapter, a little later in, in Philippians, as he's writing, he talks about how rare this is. This is a rare quality for people to put we over me. He writes to the Philippian church, he says, hey, I'm gonna send Timothy to you. Timothy was Paul's protege, he was a young pastor. He says, I'm gonna send Timothy to you. I have nobody else like him. He'll look out for your interests and for the interests of Jesus. He won't look out for his own interests. And he's the only one I've got, Paul said, of, of, of the people who are in my circle of influence, of the people 
who look up to me. Timothy's the only guy I've got that I know if I send him to you, he won't pay attention, like he won't look out for himself, he'll look out for your interest and for the interest of Jesus. We're together in this, we're united, we're united in spirit, we're one in spirit, we're one and we're one with him, he'll look out for your interest and for the interest of Christ Jesus. This is, this is a rare quality in people because, because we bend to me over we and not we over me. And as Christian people, we're called to live a we over me kind of life where, where we are one in spirit and we are pursuing, we are heading forward towards the mission that God has given to us. And so I wanna give you some practical stuff here in our last few minutes together about pursuing unity, because this is rare, it's rare. And and it requires work on our part. We don't just, we don't just drift into this. In, in your home, in your family, in your friends, circles, in our church, this doesn't just, it doesn't just happen. It happens when we as people prize being together because it's good and pleasing. And so I've just come, I've got some questions that are questions to ask when you're, when you're feeling the drift apart whether it's at church or whether it's in your marriage or with one of your kids or with a good friend, like these are some questions to ask. So I've just got this little list of questions here for you. It starts with, when I'm feeling that drift, what do we agree on? Because, because what we disagree on, it's usually just waving like a big red flag in the wind. You know, and so, and so what, is it that we, what is it that we actually agree on? And if we'll stop, and think about what it is we agree on, what we find is that list is usually a lot longer and a lot more substantial than the stuff we don't agree about. Another question to ask as you're trying to process through this, like, is this a moral right or wrong kind of thing? Or are we feeling the drift over something that is a style or preference kind of thing? In churches, churches, when churches get fractured, most of the time it's over stuff that's style and preference. If it's something that's moral right or moral wrong, like it usually gets handled in a, like in a, in a formal way, and there's conversations, and there's a working through. If it's, if it's just style or preference, people just get, like, we just get how we are. And so we drift back to our old selves. And so it's a good question to ask when I'm feeling, when I'm feeling the pull apart from my church or from somebody I love, is this, is this morally right and wrong that we're arguing about here or I'm feeling tension about or is this style or preference? And just to be able to know what it is. Another question is who's accountable for what in this? Because again, when we're feeling the drift apart, there's usually something that's going on, a decision's getting made, somebody's behaving in a particular way. Who's accountable for this? Now what I've experienced in my life is some of the things I've gotten the most bent out of shape over was, was something that like, we're all gonna stand before Jesus on judgment day, right? And we're all gonna answer for our lives and we're all gonna answer for what he gave us to do and we're gonna, we're gonna answer for, so, so who's accountable for this? And I've gotten so bent out of shape at different point in my life over things that, that Jesus is never gonna ask me about. Like it's, it's on somebody else's plate. It's, it's somebody else's responsibility before the Lord it impacts me, you know, it impacts me, which is why I get a little bit out of shape about it. It impacts me, but it, I'm not accountable for it. 
And, and this is a truth statement that if, if I'm not accountable for it, then, then God's probably not given me the wisdom for the decision that needs to get made or the direction that things need to go. I'm, just, I'm a person who's involved and I'm impacted, but, but the people who are accountable for it, like they're gonna answer to the Lord. And it's good to know. Like it's just good to sort that out. Am I impacted or am I accountable for this? So who's accountable for what is a, is a healthy question. What do humility and gentleness look like for me in this? Because if you're like me, I'd be really good at sharing with you what humility and gentleness would look like for you in this. But what do humility and gentleness look like for me? You know, the verses that we read from Philippians is a call to humility and gentleness in the way we behave so that we are together in this. And so what do humility and gentleness look like for me as I'm experiencing this frustration or this tension or this, this drift apart? What, what do humility and gentleness look like for me? What can I turn loose of? It's another great question. What can I turn loose of? How, you know, this is probably connected to is this morally right and wrong or a style and preference kind of thing? What could I turn loose of? Because what's this, you know, like, the unity piece, the unity piece, it's good and pleasant when we're together. And, and what can I turn loose of so that that, so that could happen? What could I turn loose of that? And then this next question, um, could they be right? I think that's a really mean question to, th to throw into the mix here. But could they? Like, could they be right? If I'm seeing it one way and somebody else is seeing it another way, and you know, we're usually convinced that our way is right, but could they be right? And what, what would it look like if I walked to their side of the table and, and saw this thing from their perspective? Might they be right in this? And then what does forward together look like? You know, so here we are, kind of stuck, right? We're stuck because we can't come together on this. And again, it could be with a kid or it could be with marriage or a friend group or church. It could be a lot of things. Here we are, kind of stuck, what does is, what is forward together look like? What's a, what's a little bit of vision for the future for, for me and for us in this? And then, and then that last question, like what's really at stake here? What's really at stake here? Is, is what's at stake important enough to stay stuck? Is what's at stake important enough to stay apart? Is, and some things are, right? But, and you're thinking about what's really at stake here is, is what's at stake here important enough for people like you and me to, to hold on to me, right, to what I want, is what's at stake here? And, and so it's just a list of questions that I think are really helpful for processing through when you're feeling apart because when we're together, it's good and it's pleasant. When we're apart, you know, it kills, as a church, it kills effectiveness, it kills joy, it, like apart kills and together gives life. And so, so what's really at stake here? And, and for a church, the answer is always what's at stake is the world knowing that God sent Jesus to rescue us from our sins. And so unity is this first thing. It's of most importance for us and 
As a church, the mission and the special anointing and the special blessing that comes from God, and so just as a church, we're yes people. We're yes people, and we are people who say yes to being together in this, being united in spirit, being one with each other and one with our Father so that the world knows that Jesus is sent from God to rescue us from our sins. And so, so we're together in this. And I wanna pray for us. I wanna pray for us to experience unity, to continue to experience unity as a church. And then after I pray, I've got our small group discussion questions because this list of questions would not be fair if you had to have this conversation as a small group. So I'll give you another list. So will you bow your head and close your eyes with me? Lord Jesus, we, we hear your prayer for us that, that we would be one with one another and that we would be united to you, both those things, so that the world could believe that you are who you said you are, that you are who we are experiencing you to be. And so continue to call us together. Help us, help us with this we over me thing. Help us die to self and be alive to you. And thank you for the gift of your spirit who makes all these things possible in our lives. And Jesus, this goodness comes to us through you, so we pray these things in your name, amen. All right, so let me wrap up my time with you by giving you the questions. If you're newer with us, um, this is a small group conversation, but you don't have to be in a small group to have this conversation. So you can, um, you can have it with whoever you're with after this service. You could have it at some point during this week. Like these, are, these are good questions for you to process through. So just a handful of questions here. Um, first one's, when was the last time that you were at an amusement park? And what was your favorite thing about that experience? If anybody ever actually rode the ego trip, like you gotta email me. This week, all right, so, so when were you at an amusement park, what's your favorite thing about that experience? Do you know somebody who's really good at looking out for the interests of others instead of their own? And how do they put that into practice? I just think about that guy, Timothy, and he's the only one that I know who's like, do you know somebody who's like that, who looks out for the interests of other people, and what do you see in their life that makes them that way? A little extra Bible for you, read Romans 15, verses five and six and it talks about unity being a gift that God gives his people. So what are some practical ways that we can receive this gift of unity that God wants to give to us? And then how engaged, this is now a church and conversation, how engaged do you feel with the mission and vision of our church? Right, because unity's mission critical, so how engaged do you feel with the mission and vision of our church? Are you on the team, are you in the stands, something else? Like how engaged do you feel with that? And then, where in your life or your relationships does this we over me come easier to you? And where is it more difficult for you? And again, just to be transparent and vulnerable with the people you're having a conversation with, that transparency and that vulnerability leads to really good things in your life and in theirs. So I hope you'll have this conversation and I believe it'll be encouraging and um, helpful to you. So I'm gonna turn this over to Tricia and she'll wrap us all up. But thank you guys for being here. I love you. Look forward to seeing you next weekend.